It's exciting to see the Lord working church. Baptism uh, this morning, the uh, Lord is working. But the Lord's not just working here. I'm aware of two other baptisms this morning uh, taking place in one of our other churches in the community. And so God is, is working in the community of Kodiak. And so we need to praise God for that. That not just here, but throughout the community, God's Spirit is among us and working. Father, we thank you for this time that we can look into your word. We thank you for uh, Paul's life and how he lived it. But we also know that Paul counted everything that he was as lost compared to knowing you. And so, Lord, as we consider your scriptures, may we come to know you as Paul knew you. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. We have been going through the book of Philippians. We're in the third chapter. Uh, we looked last week at uh, Jesus Christ, fully human, fully man, um, humbled himself, became obedient to the death of the cross. We even highlighted that this morning and how he humbled himself and submitted himself to baptism at uh, the hands of John the Baptist, a truly human experience, but yet as he lived his life and finished his life, he was raised from the grave and exalted the right hand of the Father. Mine, Paul begins the next chapter and he says, Rejoice in the Lord, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same thing to you again, and it's a safeguard for you. He is writing about joy once again. Whereas in the first two chapters, he's comparing his uh, joy and rejoicement with uh, the people that he knew, the people that he served with, those that had cared for him, those that he was writing to, those that had been um, partners with him in the faith and all that had gone on. He now adds uh, a word to his rejoicing. He says, rejoice in the Lord. Because that's ultimately where Paul found his joy. Because everything could come and go as we read what he says here in this passage. Everything could come and go. But what's left is knowing Jesus Christ. In these first few verses, Paul says that uh, he rejoices because to know Christ is no salvation. And that salvation comes by faith and faith alone. As we said earlier... Baptism does not save us, it does not cleanse us, it does not seal anything. It does not provide anything for us other than identifying ourselves with Jesus Christ. And we are told to do it, to identify ourselves with Jesus Christ. And Josiah followed through in believers' baptism this morning to do just that. But there's no saving factor in the act of baptism. And Paul is concerned that our people are adding more rules and regulations to the concept of the gospel. The gospel is simply this, that Jesus bore our sins. And if we would confess our sins and believe in Him and trust Him for salvation, He will provide that salvation for us and we can know Him. But Paul is concerned both not only in the book of Philippians, but also in the book of Galatians and some of the other epistles that he wrote. His concern would be adding to the law. We discussed in Sunday school uh, just briefly about how the law has been out there for a long time and people have been adding to the law to, 
to somehow bolster their own pride uh, so that they can say, well, you know, I follow this part of the law and I follow that part of the law. I wonder what would happen if instead of looking at all of our political leaders and saying where they failed, if any of them could say, this is where I've passed the law. It might be difficult. And I don't want to make a political statement because that's not what the pulpit's for, but I think that's on every side of the fence that we can think of, that uh, none of us are without sin. And Paul says, look out for those who are adding to the very grace that Jesus has given you. In fact, he says, I give you a warning. It's a safeguard. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself might have reasons for such confidence. There were those who would say to the early believers that were not Jews, because Christianity some pretty much grew out of the, the Jewish community. Jesus was a Jew. And so it grew out of the Jewish community, but there became a, a rule that somehow you had to become Jewish before you could become Christian. And that meant going through the physical act of circumcision if you had done so. So they were adding to the law. It's no different than, I know of some churches, in fact, I was part of a church as a child who believed that unless we had been baptized, we were not saved. It was adding to that law that we must baptize you. And I can remember someone saying to me one time, well, you're not saved, you haven't been baptized. I said, well, I thought I was saved when I received Jesus Christ. That's what I understood. Uh, now you're adding something else to me, kind of like a used car salesman now says, add something to the cost of you know, the destination charge and the prep fees and all that kind of stuff, to the car you're buying. No, Jesus said, be cautious. There is nothing that can be added to the grace that Jesus gave you. Salvation is by faith. You know, years ago, missionaries who went overseas were often guilty of trying to Americanize people before they brought them to Jesus Christ. We've come a long ways in our missionary efforts to provide cross-cultural evangelism uh, to, to bring the word to people in their culture and what it means to them in their culture. I think about Leslie and her trip to, where was it? Uh, Mongolia. And, and how that was a cross-cultural experience. And how we want to take Jesus to a culture and find the redemptive analogies that are in those cultures that can cause them to believe Jesus Christ without become, becoming American eyes first. And this was going on before you become a Christian. And Paul was saying, no, don't believe that. Salvation is by faith. Let me just share a few verses with you. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. We have all sinned. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. If you take the law, even if you boil it down to the Ten Commandments, we have failed, every one of us. If you want to add other laws to it to say, well, I didn't quite get that one, but I got all of these, it doesn't work. We're all sinners. Paul continues in Romans and says that, you know, the wages for that sin is death, Romans 6.23. 
But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yeah, we've all sinned, and the wages for that sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. He didn't say that the gift of God plus circumcision, plus baptism, plus church membership, plus obeying these certain rules, you've got to follow this code of contact or anything else. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It is a gift. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Let me share another verse with you that comes from Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, For it is by you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. The reason people added to the law was so that they could say, I kept that law that I added. Let me boast about how proud I am. And what's the number one sin in the scriptures? That ego that says, I don't need God. Now, Paul, <laughs> right along with this, writes, uh, Well, now, I could boast. <laughs> if I wanted to, I could boast. Let me give you my resume. Well, it's probably been a long time since some of us have uh, written a re resume. Uh, those that you are, who are gainfully employed are probably not worried much about that resume right at the moment. Those of us who are uh, considered to be life experienced uh, might say we don't need a resume. Um, I kind of recall filling one out, though, here not too long ago uh, when I was called to be the uh, interim pastor. Um, don't read it. <laughs> it's all lies. Um, but Paul could boast. He says here in this passage, it's something that they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh. <laughs> I got more. Look, I was circumcised on the eighth day. That's the right day to be circumcised. Believe me, that's the right day. God's had two days of rest during that period of time, and it's the right day. That surgeon whatever you call him. And who, who is it that does the, the circumcision? It's, uh, there's a name for that guy uh, uh, in, in the Jewish faith. Uh, anyway, uh, that, that's, his, that's what he does. Um, and he says, I was circumcised right on the eighth day. I, I'm of the people of Israel. I, I, I'm already one of those Jews. Uh, I was the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, man, I was a Pharisee. As for zeal, I persecuted the church. As for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. I've done it all. It's all on my resume. Now, I was hired by the federal government years ago, and all I did was take a piece of paper and a pencil and attach it to a government form and said, I'd like to be considered for this job. Today, you've got to have all these words that are just right that the computer can pick up before it even is seen by human eyes. I got that job, but I would never get my job back if I had to submit a resume today based on the key words that change every day. But Paul says, I have the key words. But you know what? Just as much as he rejoiced in the Lord because he knew Jesus as his Savior, and that he knew his salvation was by faith alone. Paul says, I take a look at who I am 
and I consider all of it a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider all of it nothing but garbage, that I might gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Jesus Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Paul takes a hard look at his life. Looking back, he says, I had it all. I had every right word. I had every right process taken. I had it all. And I could boast about all of that. He says, no. I can't at all as loss. It's garbage. In fact, some of the commentators would call that what he compared it to was a pile of doggy do. Compared to knowing Jesus Christ. But he doesn't just say, I want to know Jesus Christ. He says, I want to know the power of the resurrection. He doesn't just leave it with just knowing Jesus Christ. And that's where a lot of Christians will leave it. Okay, I've got salvation. I'm good to go. You can call it a fire escape from hell if you'd like. But there's more. There's more. There's nothing more that we can do to get Nothing more that we can do to know Jesus Christ. But if I want to know Jesus Christ deeper and more powerful in my life, I need to get acquainted with the power that is behind the resurrection. Jesus was not left in the grave. Jesus raised from the grave on the third day. We're going to celebrate that on Easter Sunday in just a few weeks. That the resurrection validated everything that Jesus was, everything that Jesus taught, every miracle he ever did. The resurrection validated who and what Jesus Christ was. Because it is the power of the resurrection that makes eternal life possible. It is the power of the resurrection that says we can have God walk alongside of us in this life, going through whatever it is that we go through. Paul was writing to readers who were suffering in one way or another. Paul himself was suffering in prison. And he's saying, I find joy in that salvation. And as he comes to chapter 3, I says, I find joy in the Lord. Knowing the Lord, but not just knowing Jesus Christ. I know the power of His resurrection because I've seen it at work. I've seen what God has done with those who need His love. He has seen what God has done with those who need His salvation. He has done, seen what God can do in building and in His body amongst the world, the church of Jesus Christ. But yet He says, I need to get a hold of not just that power, but I need to know that person that came up from the grave so well that I am our partaker of that power also. Who wants to know Christ and the fellowship of his sufferings. Like I said, Paul was writing to a says, I want to know Christ in the fellowship of his sufferings. 
I'm not sure that Paul actually wanted to go to the cross with Jesus, but he was willing to pray the same prayer that Jesus prayed the night before he died. Father, if it be your will, I do not want to proceed with the crucifixion, but nevertheless, your will, not mine. Paul was able to say on many occasions in the midst of his suffering that I want to know the fellowship of Jesus in my suffering, just as he was able to say, nevertheless, your will, not mine. Paul said often, nevertheless, your will, Father, not mine. He said that in the passages that just were just prior in the book of Philippians. For me to live is Christ. To die is gain. But we know a little bit about Paul's suffering. He writes in 2 Corinthians 11, you know, he says, okay, I, here's my resume, my, my credentials. I got me, I've got this I love me wall over here. And everybody that's ever been in the military knows what an I love me wall is, right? You Coast Guardies, you got the I love me wall, you know, every award you've ever gotten, every thank you gift that you've ever gotten is up there. It says, this is where I've been, this is what I've done. And you, you, you got it all. Paul had all those things up on his I love me wall. But he says here, I want the fellowship of his sufferings. It wasn't just about all the credentials that were up here that could be put on a resume. Paul knew Christ in the very experiences of life. Those same coasties that have the certificates up there on their walls, and believe me, I had them up on my wall too. Um, my son had his wall, and we compare walls. And I said, son, I got two of those. You only got one. He says, yeah, but dad, you don't have this one. Yeah, well, it didn't quite get there. Um, had to lose more weight to get that one. Um, anyway, there was the experiential knowledge and that they had. It wasn't just those certificates and awards. It was the very experiences that Paul had that said that he had substance, that he was something. In Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, whatever else, whatever else anyone dares to boast about, uh, I might be speaking as a fool here, but let me boast about a couple other things here. Hebrews, so am I. They're Israelites, so am I. They're Abraham's descendants, so am I. Are the servants of Christ. I'm out of my mind to be talking like this, but I'm more than them. I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked besides everything else. I face the daily pressure of my concern. For all the churches. If I must boast. I'll boast of my weakness. Because therein I find the strength of God. See Paul could boast. But he knew in every one of these situations that he had been in. That Jesus Christ was walking with him. And the fellowship of the sufferings of Jesus Christ were right there with him. As he moved through each and every experience. It wasn't just. 
a wall of certificates and resumes. It was a lifetime of experiences that nobody awards anybody for. And he says, those things and those things all put together, I'll boast in where I'm with. That's where Jesus Christ is strong in me because it's his strength. I was with a family that loved one was coming close to the end of life. And they were praying for a miracle. They still wanted to hold out for a miracle. Miracles can happen. I worked in a veterans hospital for 20 plus years. I saw some miracles happen. But they were expecting a miracle and everyone knew that this miracle more than likely was not gonna happen, including this chaplain. Knew that it probably wasn't gonna happen. But they were holding out. The doctors threw up their arms as chaplain, it's your turn. Sit down with the family. I had known them well uh, over the year that they'd been in and out of the hospital with their loved one. He said, they want to take our hope away from us. I thought, prayed, God give me words and wisdom. I said, you know, I don't think anybody wants to take the hope away from you that you have. In fact, that hope is probably the one thing that is sustaining you right now. And nobody wants to take that hope away. However, your hope is based on a miracle that may or may not happen. And according to the doctors, more than likely will not happen. But let me tell you that the side that you are asking for a miracle from it's not the miracle that is the basis of your hope. It is the God behind that miracle that is the basis of your hope. And I can tell you that if the miracle you're expecting does not happen, that same God who is behind the hope that you're looking at is the same God that will walk with you through your sorrow, your grief, your loss in the days ahead. And to me, that's miraculous. And to me, that is just as hopeful as a miracle coming and saving your loved one at this point in time. They got it. Praise the Lord, they got it. Paul also says, to know Christ, it's not just knowing the power of the resurrection. It's not just being saved. It's not just fellowshipping in the sufferings with Jesus Christ or having him fellowship with us. It's to lay hold of the very thing that Christ has laid hold of us for. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul wanted to lay hold of the very God had laid hold of him for. There is nothing better to be in the perfect will of God. And I will guarantee you that on most days, I'm not sure I know what that is. But I can tell you when the day is over, that maybe I've gotten close to what the will of God is because I've seen God in action through things that I don't even understand. But Paul strained with a signalness of purpose to reach out for that 
to press forward, forgetting all of this stuff he has, the I love me wall, the experiences and everything else, forgetting that, the past successes, the past failures, to say, no, I want to press forward to what lies ahead. This is very similar to what's written in Hebrews chapter 12 in the very first verse. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes upon Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Where's my Coast Guard swimmer? Steve, right? Or is it John? Just Steve. You're Steve. Okay. You're Steve the swimmer. Okay. John the swimmer's out swimming. Anyway, you're a swimmer, right? Okay. That's all I need to know. <laughs> no, you're a swimmer. When you're sitting in the edge of the helicopter, you knew this was coming. Um, you got a swimmer, you got a person in the water. Where's your focus? The horizon? It's not on the swimmer? focus on the horizon. When you look on the horizon, you're looking at the sunset and the uh, all of all the other things that are going on. What's your what's your focus? What's your main focus? Do the, Do the next thing correctly. Focused with this one thing in mind. Paul had a focus. He says, "I fix my eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith." As he explained. If your head is down and not focused on what's out, the horizon, your head's going to go down first and your body's going to follow your head and you're going to go crashing into the water and you are not going to do that swimmer, that, that drowning victim, any good. It's a focus. Paul says, throw off all that stuff that entangles us with perseverance. Run your own race. Run the race that God has set before you. The same thing that we have in Philippians. This one thing I do, I want to lay hold of what God has laid hold of for me. I am not a Coast Guard swimmer jumping out of a helicopter. Sounds like fun. I've jumped out of helicopters, but it was dry ground. Of course, I was an Army guy. We had a rope. But this one thing I do, I want to lay hold of what God has laid me hold of me for. And that means first, knowing Jesus Christ is my personal Savior, based on faith alone. Secondly, it means that I want to know Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection. I want to know Jesus Christ and the fellowship of his sufferings. And I want to lay hold of the very thing that God has laid hold of me for. Whatever that is, it may change from day to day. But unless I'm looking out to the eyes with my eyes fixed on Jesus Christ, I will never lay hold of it. I'm going to ask worship team to come. Sometimes we want to hold on to...